Father in heaven, I come before you, Lord, and I thank you for the word, Lord. I thank you for your word, Father, which Jesus Christ is the word. It's living, Father. It's breathing, Lord. Father, may it grow inside of us, Lord. May we remember it and put it on the tablets of our heart. May tonight, may you speak as we read about Job, Lord, and his suffering. May we read about a man who had great patience, a man who never cursed you, Lord, a man who trusted in you, even though at times he wavered. Lord in heaven, we can relate to that. We go through troubles in life, Lord, but may we remember and trust in you that you bring comfort, that you bring joy, that you bring, Lord, peace to us. There is no peace outside of Jesus Christ. So today, speak to us through your word, Lord. May we hear it and apply it to our lives, Lord. We thank you for your son, and we thank you for your word. May the Holy Spirit speak tonight. May my words be few and your words be many. Holy Spirit, take over. I love you in Lord Jesus Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So guys, we're going to be in chapter 14 tonight of uh, Job. I finished chapter 13 last time I was here on the pulpit. Uh, So in chapter 12, to kind of do a little bit of a recap, chapter 12, we saw the following. Uh, Job defended himself against his friends, and again, today he's going to defend himself, but more of a question, actually, more of questions directed towards God uh, in today's chapter. But he did defend himself in chapter 12 against Zophar. He states that his friends think they have more wisdom than him, but he's in his old age, he's saying, look, I've been around the block. In my old age, I've learned a lot of things, and you're not privy to information that I'm not as well. So what they were doing to him, the things they were saying, accusing him of sin, which he had not done, and really not telling him anything new, um, he had also spent time with God. And what was obvious to Job is that God does punish sin, and we do know God punishes sin. But what they were saying is God only punishes sin when you, God only has you go through these trials and tribulations when you've done wrong. But people who do good don't go through them. But Job had seen the opposite. Job had seen that, no, wait a second, I've seen many evil people prosper on earth. But we know ultimately in the end, they will pay a price for that, right? So you've heard the saying, you can get away with murder here, but you won't get away with murder in heaven. You won't get away with murder before you stand before Jesus Christ, amen? So that's what he was saying. He goes, look, it's obvious that what you're saying is not completely true, what I'm going through. Job says uh, in chapter 12, God's will, his will be done. Uh, When God breaks something, it cannot be rebuilt by men. God controls nature, Job says in that chapter. He tells waters what to do. God withholds them and then they dry up. He sends out waters out to overwhelm the earth and also to overwhelm men. So he realizes God's in total control of nature and I understand that. It also says in that chapter that God plunders counselors and makes leaders to be fools before him. So God, so the question is, we have a lot of politicians and leaders over us who are in opposition to God, but is God ruling over them as well? Amen, he is in the end. Remember, never forget that. God is in control. Nothing can happen unless God allows it. And Job talks about that in chapter 12. He allows kings to reign, limits their power, overthrows the mighty. He makes nations great, and then he destroys nations. We've seen that throughout our history. Nations will rise up, and then they're in opposition to God, and then they fall. It happened to Israel in the Old Testament. Job tells his friends, God does all things. I can't contend with God. Friends, this I already know. Tell me something new, something that will actually help me. right? And that was the problem. Remember, they weren't good physicians. They weren't helping Job. They weren't healing the hurting. They're actually adding to it. Then in chapter 13, Job starts off by saying this. This is Job 13, 1 through 4. Behold, my eyes have seen all this. My ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. That's where I said he's older. He understands. He's older than, than many of them or the same age. I also know, and I am not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty. I would desire to reason with God. 
But you forgers of lies, you are all worthless physicians. Job then goes on to say in chapter 13, and he says to his friends, you're liars, speaking lies, speaking wickedly on behalf of God. If you remember in chapter 11, Zophar, because God hadn't responded to him as he's complaining about God's justice, and he is accusing God of being unjust, and God hasn't spoken, he says, you know what? If God won't say anything, I'm going to say something to you. And that was a big mistake for him, and he'll answer for that at the end of the book. Job then tells his friends it's time to basically shut up. Job will speak and defend himself directly to God. And that's where the the very famous verse comes from. Even though God may slay me, still I will trust in him. So Job's done with his friends. They're not offering him any help, any comfort, any compassion. He's like, "I'm I'm ready to talk to God. You guys are not helping. So Job finishes the chapter pleading Job finishes the chapter pleading for God to make his sin known to him. And why, why, God, do you hold the sin of my youth against me? I'm dying like a rotten corpse here. Um, remember how sick Job was. We have to remember that. When he says this, he's, you know, he's basically saying, hey, look, I don't know the sin I've done right now, but maybe there's something in my youth. Maybe there's something in my past that I'm not even aware of. And, and then, remember, he's disfigured. Like, they didn't even recognize him when they saw him, how sick he was. And again, like I've said before, we read this, and we could read this whole chapter. We could read the whole book of Job, the 42 chapters, in probably an hour, you know, a couple hours. And so we tend to think this is happening over a short period of time. Scholars estimate this is happening to Job, his sickness, over a six-month period. He's been sick for a while. So Job is at that place. You know, he must have smelled at this point. He had open scars. He was taking pot shirts and scraping off his dead skin, and they couldn't recognize him. He had been pushed out, most likely to the middle of the town where the ashes and the trash were burnt because no one wanted to be around him. The, the, the debate among Job and his friends will continue for many chapters, but chapter 14, Job will speak again. And that's where we arrive here at chapter 14. So if you want to turn to chapter 14, if you're not there... Uh, We'll start with verses 1 and 2. Man who is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He He flees like a shadow and does not continue. So he says, hey, look, man is born into trouble. The theologian, I'm going to start with this, the theologian Albert Barnes said this. Albert Barnes contributes a lot of commentaries um, uh, for pastors, pastors, throughout the years, um, hundreds of years. He said this, despite all that man can do, all his care and skill and learning and wealth, life is a weary pilgrimage and is burdened with many woes. He quotes Jacob in Genesis when Jacob said to Pharaoh, few and evil have the days and the years been of my pilgrimage, said Jacob to Pharaoh. And he was talking about his years compared to his, uh, his father's years and his father's father's years. So it is filled with trouble, right, guys? I mean, life really is filled with trouble. So he's not making a statement that's not true. Job had experienced troubles in his life. Now experienced, but now he's experiencing them at a horrific level, right? He lost all 10 of his children on one day. Imagine just losing one of your children, right? We've seen people who are broken when they lost one child, but losing all 10. His wealth's gone. His wife's telling him, curse God and die. But you gotta understand, it's not that she was a, horrible woman. She was a woman who just lost all her kids and saw her husband being rebuked by everyone in the town. And then also, 
sitting there disfigured. She's like, you know what? It might be better if he curses God and maybe God just strikes him down and takes him, right? So Job recognizes that man is born into sin. Adam and Eve sinned, right? And that's where original sin comes from. His mother that gave birth to Job was what? Was a sinner. Our parents were what? Were sinners, right? They weren't free of sin when they gave birth to all of us, when our mothers gave birth to all of us. Our troubles pretty much start at birth, right? But he realizes it's not the focus on, on our parents' sin, his sin. We're all born into sin because of original sin. And what that original sin does, guys, is it breaks our relationship with God, right? We don't have the relationship that Adam and Eve originally had with God and were meant to have. The relationship we were meant to have, to have communion with God, it's now broken, and Job, for at least for Job, and Job is voicing these troubles. To use a New Testament expression, John, regarding this born into sin, uh, John 6 says this, that which is born of flesh is flesh. King David said this about being born in sinful troubles. In Psalm, for those of you who take notes, Psalm 51.5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. So David realized, hey, I'm a sinner. I was born into sin. I understand the world is broken. I understand that I have inherited Adam and Eve's sin. So years ago, I'll never forget, let me tell you a little bit of a story. I had a non-believer, um, uh, I had a sales job. Me and Dave actually worked together. So I was a salesman. I drive around probably, you know, sometimes four or five hours a day. And one of the managers um, had had a degree in biblical studies and religious studies. And he was riding along with me. And um, he was not a believer in Jesus Christ. And so I was sharing with him. And one of the things he said to me was he said, hey, racism, hatred, evil are learned from our environment, environment and others. And I disagreed with him. I said, no, we're born inherently evil, right? That's what David was saying. We are born in the sin, inherently evil by nature due to Adam's fall. He totally disagreed with me. He goes, no, evil is learned by our parents. Evil is learned by the people around us. We're not born in evil. That's ridiculous. A baby's not evil, Right? So I told my friend this story. My mom used to babysit. And many of you have experienced this. If you've ever been in children's ministry or around children, you'll experience this. My mom babysat two babies. And one baby, I remember I used to watch them in the playpen, right? And the one baby I watched proceeded to take the toy from the other baby. Not only did he take the toy, he then hit the baby over the head with the toy, right? He took his toy and then beat him with his own toy. And I'm thinking, now these are kids that are, they were like two years old, a year and a half or whatever they might have been. They couldn't even walk sometimes. I think they were on their stomach and he's hitting them with the toy. And then he pushed the weaker baby down, I remember. Actually, excuse me, they were two girls. Yes, lady, they were two girls, two, <laughs> two, two young women, little babies. And the one pushed the other little girl down and then the stronger one and stood on its back and was going like this on the playpen. And the other baby was screaming and my mom comes running because she's the baby. She comes running. Oh, and she, you know, and she would separate. This would happen a lot. Now you tell me, did they learn that? Or were they born with that instinct to take what they want and get what they want at the expense of others, right? So Job's realizing this. Hey, I'm born into these troubles. Guys, we're born into it because the world's broken. Amen? Scientific studies have been done about this. Look, this is about babies. This is an interesting scientific study when I was doing my research. Prejudice. Do you know babies are prejudiced? You know that they like certain people and don't like other people even at birth? Here, in 2004, the study was done in the UK. The scientists showed babies 
a one-week-old, uh, showed a one-week-old baby a picture of an attractive woman and then one of, a very unattra- of an unattractive woman. Almost 100% of the babies looked significantly longer and stared at the pictures of the attractive women. So they're inclined to like certain things and to not like certain things. Right? We don't learn everything. Uh, defiance. You ever seen a baby throw a tantrum? Who's here seen a baby throw a tantrum, right? All of us, right? And when babies don't get what they want, they go into what? An uncontrollable anger. Where does that come from? Did we teach them to do tantrums when they're born? No, it comes naturally. Again, because we're born into sin. We have evil inside of us when we come into this world. Stealing. Like I said, that one baby took the other thing. He, he, he was a thief. The little girl was a thief. She stole from the other baby at one house and she was a thief already, right? Already had broken one of the Ten Commandments a year and a half old, okay? <laughs> Lying and deception. Babies will deceive even at a young age. So I'm going to tell you a story about my kids, um, Dakota and Aaliyah. And I know they love when I tell stories about them, um, but they actually don't. But this one is a funny story. Yes. My my daughter just said, is it the baby powder one, Dad? Yes, it is. So one night, me and my wife awake because we hear noise in our kids' room. Dakota and Aaliyah are twins, right? And at the time, my wife said they were three years old. We walk into the room. Obviously, when you have babies, uh, mothers know this. You have baby powder everywhere. We walk into the room, and I'm not kidding you. Aaliyah's bed's here. Dakota's bed's here. The room is covered as if it snowed in baby powder. There's not one piece of the room that's not covered in white powder. The closet's filled with it. The beds are filled with it. It's all over the carpet. You can't even see the carpet. It's on the walls. And here's what's funny. Dakota's getting into his bed. He put the, the bottle of baby powder as Aaliyah was sleeping in her hand and was getting into his bed. And we said, hey, who, who put the baby powder everywhere? And he didn't say a word and just got in his bed. And we walk over and we're looking going, was it Aaliyah? She has it in her hand. But we saw him. It was him. We're deceptive. We're deceivers, even at a young age. It's because we're born into sin. Life is full of troubles, amen, because of sin. And in many cases, guys, we get older, and don't we do the same things throughout our lives? Right? Haven't we? Have you ever, who here has stolen something before? Go back to even your childhood, right? You've stolen something, eight years old, 15 years old. I know I did. Who here has had a tantrum? Men, I expect every man's hand to go up, right? Men, we have tantrums, right? Got a lot of testosterone inside of us, right? Testosterone. But, right, we have tantrums as well. We get very angry, right? But the anger of man doesn't produce what? The righteousness of God, amen. So the exhortation, guys, we are all sinners because of one man, Adam. But we are forgiven also because of one man, amen? We read in Romans, those of you who take notes, Romans 5, 12, and 12, verse 12 and verse 19. Therefore, just as though one man, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men, Because all sinned, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And this is the beautiful part. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous, right? That's our hope right there. But Job is looking at it going, I I know there's a life full of trouble here. I know it's not right. I know it's broken. So in Galatians 5, 16 to 17, 17, we read this. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these things are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Guys, in your life, and this is, again, the exhortation, 
what you feed is what's going to grow. You've heard it said before, if you have two dogs and you don't feed one and you feed the other one, right? The one that's going to grow up and be healthy and strong is the one you're giving the food to. We need to feed our spirit. We need to read our Bible. We need to pray, right? We need to be in fellowship. We need to be praying for others. We need to be serving in ministries, amen? And you will grow. Feed your spirit. That's the exhortation here in this fallen world where we're born into sin, right? And again, they'll be at war with one another. So then in verse 2, it says this, he comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. So remember, this is a book of poetry and wisdom is what Job is. So it's poetic here. Man's life is short, like the life of a flower. You guys right? a life of a flower, once you pick it, how long does it last, right? Women love getting flowers and men are always like, those things are just gonna die. But it's the thought, guys, right? And I remember one time my wife kept the flower. I don't even know where it was from. Maybe I gave it to her and it was in the... um, it was in the van, and she put it up, you know, on the dashboard, and the thing was, like, dead. Like, I mean, it was hard. Like, and then one day, it was, like, falling apart, and dust was flying when you would drive of the flower, and I remember I threw it away, and she goes, where's my flower? What'd you do with my flower? I'm like, that thing was dead. It was, it was dust all over the van, but that's what happens, right? Life is like that, right? It's short, and it's withering away, and that's what Job's getting at here. Guys, we have about 70 to 90 years here on earth. So you've got a few short years here. And and then guess what? 70 years here, 90 years, but you know what we should be looking at? We have eternity somewhere else. We have eternity in heaven. Amen? Amen? But here's the thing. Rather than looking ahead and spending our 70 years at what our eternity will look like, what do we tend to do? Some Christians live saying, nothing further. There's nothing further I need to do. Going to church, praying, reading. But there's much further to go, right? God wants to use us and give us so much. Paul was always looking at the eternal. In Philippians 3.13, we read this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, guys, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul was always looking at eternity, looking like, well, I'm going to spend this 70 years influencing what's going to happen in eternity. I'm going to build my treasures in heaven. I'm going to serve God's people. I'm going to herald the word and preach it to as many that will listen. I'm going to go to prison, and then I'm going to get out, even though they told me not to preach the word and we might kill you, I'm going to go do it again, right? He was always looking for eternity, In your 15 years here on earth, for some of you, because there's some young kids here, right? In your 15 years on earth, 16, your 30 years here, your 40 years on earth, your 50 years, your 60 years, what have you guys done with God's son? What have I done with God's son? Right? I ask myself, I'm not just asking you the question, I ask myself that question all the time. What have I done for God's son? Amen? So I'll tell you the story of my mom. Um, uh, Rest in peace. Uh, God took her home about seven, eight years ago. She took her home on Christmas morning. And a lot of people always say, oh man, that's horrible. And I said, no, it was a, it was a blessing because my mom was ready to go home. And also, um, what better day to go home than on Jesus's birthday? Amen, right? There's hope for us, right? We have a different view of life. And the bottom line is um, my mom though, in her old age, as she got old, um, in her young years, 
she wasn't in the, the greatest of churches and she didn't really understand what it meant to have a healthy relationship with God, but she loved the Lord. And she didn't really serve many years when she was in her younger years. So, but when she got old, she got sick. And one of the things she said to me right before she died, she said, mijo, because uh, I'm half Mexican, so my mom said, mijo. She goes, you know what I, I, I wish? I wish I could go back and be young again and serve the Lord all my days. She goes, because I didn't do enough of it. And now in my old age, I can't pick up a baby anymore and serve in the children's ministry. I can barely walk. And my mom had a colostomy bag. Uh, she was diabetic. Her kidney only functioned at 11%. But the thing she said to me is, I wish I could go back and I could serve God with all the days of my life when I was younger. So if you're young, start serving God. Here's a story too. Recently, my wife just told me last week, um, my mother-in-law has Parkinson's and she's been struggling with it and it's been progressing. My wife asked her, hey mom, if God could heal you of your Parkinson's, what would you want to go out and do? You know, because she doesn't go out as much anymore. And you know what she said? I want to serve him. If he would take it away, I want to go serve him. I want to serve in ministries. Guys, you think about people who their, their ability has been taken away to serve God in ministry, and yet here we are. Think about it. If you have the ability, if you can walk, if you can talk, if you can see, right? If your heart's pumping and you can go run two and a half miles, serve God wherever he's called you, whether it be the children's ministry, whether it be hospitality ministry, worship ministry, youth ministry, whatever it is, use your days, redeem the time, amen? Be on fire for God because there are people who can no longer serve him and they wish they could go back and dedicate those days to service to God. Amen? So life is short, as Job's talking about. Have you received from God, but you haven't given from God, given to God? Well, a lot of times we do. We come to church and we receive and receive, but what are we giving? I want to encourage you. The exhortation is, don't just receive. Give, right? I exhort you to give to God and to give to others. I want to exhort you in this verse, Acts 20, 35. In 35, it says, in everything I did, I showed you that by, this is Paul, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, what did Jesus say? It is more blessed to give, guys, than to receive. Give to God. Use your gifts. Amen? Give. So that's my ex exhortation, guys. Redeem your time here. It's short. Job, uh, let's see here, verses three and four. <clears throat> And do you open your eyes on such a one, God? This is what Job's asking. And bring me to judgment with yourself? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. So he's saying, after I fade away, like he said, and after a shadow is gone, right? A shadow comes and goes. The sun goes up, and I may see my shadow. And as soon as it's nighttime, it's gone. Again, it's fleeting all the time. He's asking, hey, Will you set your eyes upon me there in verse 3? Will I reappear? Will you look at me face to face? And if you look at me face to face, then is it time for judgment? Will you judge me? Job is asking, is there an afterlife basically? Am I significant enough for you to look upon me and then want to meet with me face to face? Right, because you've got to remember a lot of times and his friends have been telling him we're insignificant to God. We know that's not true from the New Testament. God loves us and desires a relationship. We're actually special, right? We're heirs to a throne, right? You're daughters of a king, ladies. You're sons of a king, men, right? So here's the, so here's the thing. And then he says, have, you know, have, 
Or he's maybe thinking, have you already judged me and you're not going to allow me to meet with you? Like, this is it. You've already judged me and that's why these bad things are happening to me and that's it, my life's over and and then you're going to put an end to it and I'll never see you face to face. See, he's reasoning with God. Is my sentence suffering and then death? That's what Job is basically saying here in that verse. Because what Job didn't have, guys, what we have, and thank Jesus for it, he didn't have the New Testament. Right? The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament, what? Revealed in the revelation of Jesus Christ. He didn't have that. So in 2 Timothy 1.10, we read this. But has, but has now been revealed, so through Jesus, Paul's saying, but it has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Amen. Pastor Dave Wright just taught through 2 Timothy. It's through Jesus Christ that we have that revelation. Praise God. Job is asking, is there a judgment? We know there is a judgment, right, guys? He didn't know. Remember, Sheol was the grave. He thought, okay, I'm going to go down in the grave, and that's it. Lights out. He didn't have a full understanding. But we know there is. In Hebrews, those of you again take notes, Hebrews 9.27, we read this. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this is what, guys? The judgment. Right? So it's only appointed for us to die once. And then in verse 4, if you look, he's kind of saying, God, if there is this judgment, how can I stand before you in this judgment and be made clean? How? I don't understand it. How can I be righteous before you? Because I'm unclean and I'm righteous. And remember, right before this, right, you got to look at the context. He said, I'm born into sin. So if I'm sinful, how do we handle this? How do we fix it? Is basically what he's asking. Without knowing about Jesus at this time, Job knew his works and his sacrifices. Remember, he was sacrificing even on behalf of his children. I think it was in chapter 2. Just in case they had sinned, he wanted to sacrifice for them. So we can take it that Job was sacrificing unto the Lord. And Job loved the Lord. And we know that because God even says he's righteous and there's none like him in the very first chapters when he invites Satan to look at Job's life. Here's what it is. We, Job is realizing sin is his problem. He is, and he realizes also as sin is my problem, God, I'm not the solution. I can't outwork my sin and make it right. And he also knows not only is he not the solution, we're not the solution. You guys are not the solution. I'm not the solution to sin. Job says, who? I love that he says, who can make me clean in that verse? There's who. And then again, a person. There's no one who can do that. See, Job is right. There is no man who can make another man clean of sin and wickedness, right? We know that. There's no amount of works, guys, that you can do where you could stand before God in righteousness and be holy. But God himself, God himself, the man, can make a man clean. But Job didn't know that. If there was only, Job was kind of saying, if there was only a propitiation for me, God... The propitiation, if you don't know what that means, that means to appease something. So in this case, a propitiation would be an appeasement to God for the problem of sin. Job is saying if there was only an atonement to make me clean, long before Jesus was made the atonement, the Bible rocks. The Old Testament is always pointing towards the coming Messiah. Job needs a savior to do away with his sin. We got a problem I don't have the solution. Who does? God has the solution and God's going to take care of it. But he didn't know that at that time. There is no amount of good we can do to appease God, reach the bar of acceptability that God requires, guys. God does not require goodness. Do you guys know that? 
It doesn't require goodness. What does he require? Does he require you just to be good? No. He requires you to be holy, for he is holy. He requires holiness. Amen? The Lord said to Moses in Leviticus 19.2, again, those who take notes, I always say those who take notes because my wife used to take notes, and she goes, you go too fast, and I need you to tell me the scriptures so I can write it down because my wife likes to, uh, whatever the pastor's teaching, she, she likes to study it the next day. So Leviticus, Leviticus 19.2, we read this. The Lord said this to Moses, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So what is God asking us to be? What is he requiring? For us to be holy, not good. Holiness is far beyond goodness, guys. Holy, and I'm going to tell you what holiness is. Holy is sanctification. It's separation to God. In Greek, the word is hagios. Hagios in the Strong's definition, it says it's sanctification. Is, and here's the definition. Is thus the state predetermined, listen to this, the state predetermined by God for believers into which in grace he calls them and in which they begin their Christian course and so pursue it. Hence, they are called saints, hagios, consecrated, most holy thing. Holiness is a God thing. It's not a man thing. It's what God has predetermined for us to be. And then once we're saved, we get on that road and God starts sanctifying us. And one day, all of our, all of our impurities and all of our sin will be taken away through, through Jesus Christ. And, we, and then the glorification will happen with Jesus in heaven when we live our, our last day and we're with him. So guys, God requires holiness. And Job knew, how can I do that? To make Job clean, make us clean, we needed God to make us clean a propitiation, guys. That's what God did. He sacrificed himself. Romans, in Romans 3, 23 through 25, we read this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, again, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth, who God set forth as a propitiation. See, there's that word. Jesus is the propitiation. He was the only thing that it compete could appease God. Job didn't know that at this time. We do. Amen. Praise God that we do. Amen. And um, the propitiation is from the word here, halisterion, the definition in Greek, appeasing God and atoning victim. The word really actually means an appe- to appease God with an atoning victim. Who was the atoning victim? Jesus. And then verse 9, by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, the word forbearance in Greek here means forbearance is basically tolerance. So you could read this verse here at the end of Romans uh, 3.25, uh, uh, by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his tolerance, basically, of sin, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So see, in Job's day, the sins were being held until Jesus came and died on the cross. They were being looked over by God, and that's what the animal's blood was supposed to signify. It was a covering, but a temporary covering. But see, Job didn't know this. Job had no one, like he said, no one can make me clean, because long before Jesus, Job was trying to figure it out, working out his salvation here, guys, with fear and trembling and questions. In Philippians 2.12, we read this, and some of us have to do that. Most people will. They'll, you guys will work out your salvation through fear and trembling. Paul said this, in my absence, 
Philippians 2.12, in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And basically, you can, you can replace those words. Here's what Paul's saying. Work out your salvation and your, your relationship and reconciliation through God, through Jesus Christ, with reverence for God and humility. Realizing God is here and I am here, and I'm going to be humble in my relationship with God. And the fear part is, right, um, it's the wisdom of God. Once we understand who God is, giving him reverence and respect. The who can make a man clean was a foreshadowing, the need of a savior before there was a savior. The Bible rocks, man. You're right? Am I right? The Old Testament, the book of Job, sometimes we read this, it's just a man suffering, you know, and, and, and okay, and it's a story of a guy's life, and it's very interesting. But no, it's foreshadowing and pointing towards the Christ. But Christian, now that you have been made clean, so guys, now that you have been clean, made clean, walk in that cleanness of life. Walk in that new life, right? You're not sinless, as Pastor Dave always says in many passages, but you should sin less, right? The longer we've been Christians, the, the, from the time we sin to the time we repent, the longer we've walked with the Lord, it should get shorter and shorter and shorter, guys. So I want to encourage you. We're all still sinners, but we should sin less now that we have Jesus and we have a newness of life and we've may be, may been made clean by what happened on the cross. Amen? So Job, uh, let's see here, uh, verses 5 through 6. Chapter 14, since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. Look away from him. <clears throat> Look away from me, basically, is what he's saying, that I may rest till like a hired man, I can finish my day. So guys, God has, you know, I'm not going to get into predestination and everything, but God is forever, right? That's what eternal is. He's always been. There's no beginning and there's no end, right? It's forever. And God has seen everything that'll ever happen. God cannot learn anything new. So God has already seen our lives played out, every decision we'll make. It's a divine revelation, right? Therefore, the days of our lives have been predetermined by God. That's why it's worded this way. If you ask me to, to explain empirically that I understand predestination and how it all works, I don't. You got the wrong guy. People have been arguing about this for thousands of years, thousands, and they will continue to do that. But what, he, what, we, what we do know is that free will and God's sovereign will throughout the Bible is like this, intertwined beyond our belief and basically beyond our understanding. We see them both. So I acknowledge that they're both there. And here I acknowledge that God knows all things and God has determined our days. <clears throat> Guys, no amount of science, machinery, in the future, God will ever allow us to live a minute or a day past what God has already predetermined for us to live. Amen? He knows all things. That's part of it. And then Job asked him, he says, Job's basically saying here, he's losing hope in life. He believes God is ending his life. He asked God, can you just look away from me? Give me a break and let me just finish the day like a hired man who just does want, who wants to do his work, go through his struggle, go through the labor, whatever the struggle may be, and then just rest because his day is done. This chapter, when I looked at it and I studied it, it's a chapter of wavering hope. It's a chapter about hope, but it's a wavering hope that goes back and forth because this chapter contains great despair. So do many of the chapters from a man who's been through a devastating loss and has been through a lot of personal suffering. Okay, so we do have to understand that as his hope's going back and forth. But Job was a human being just like us. 
Guys, I'm sure he had earthly aspirations and dreams for his life, right? Do you think that was his dream when he started life? That all his kids would go on one day and be, and be killed on one day? No. Who dreams that, right? I'm sure maybe Job had dreams of being wealthy. <clears throat> and he was for a while until he lost all his wealth, right? I'm sure Job dreamed of having many healthy years and growing into old age with his wife. But now he's deathly ill. He's sick. He's stricken. He's probably realizing, I don't think I'm going to be able to fulfill that dream. Growing old alongside his children, maybe even his grandchildren, but he's realizing all his children are now gone. Being revered by others in his town, right? It says he was a very revered man. Everyone knew who he was in his name. He was until now, right? God gives and takes away. How many of you can say that your life has gone exactly how you planned and all your dreams have been realized? Nobody's hand went up, okay? <laughs> Nobody's hand went up. Me either. My life is not how I planned it. I didn't plan on being up here tonight, right? Never planned on being a pastor. God anoints pastors, right? Man, just realize it. Never planned it, guys. Our lives don't go as planned. And here's the thing. Um, we read in Proverbs 16.9. Proverbs 16.9. A man's heart plans his way, but what? God, Terry, God determines his steps. Amen, Terry. But God determines our steps. You guys remember the movie, uh, <clears throat> maybe more, um, the women will remember this, probably a lot of guys, I'm, I'm I'm just guessing you guys don't watch musicals, right? But Les Miserables, right, the musical. There's a song in there called I Dreamed a Dream. And I heard another pastor say this, so this is not from me, but I thought it was very interesting when he said it in a Bible study. So Les Miserables, I Dreamed a Dream. I'm going to read you some of the words from that about the dreams we have that may not be realized. But there are dreams that cannot be, and there are storms we cannot weather. And, and, and the character in the movie is a woman who's gone through a really horrible life and now she's going to die at a very young age and she's been abused her whole life. And so she's realizing, I've had a life of suffering and I haven't, the dreams aren't going to come true that I thought. So here again, but there are dreams that cannot be and there are storms we cannot weather. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. So different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed right? Our dreams and aspirations need to be eternal dreams, guys, and eternal aspirations for Christ. For those, this earthly life cannot kill, right? Dreams of praying for others daily, dreams of teaching the word of God, dreams of discipling children in a Sunday school, maybe at a church, dreams of reading your Bible every day, dreams of using your gifts for the kingdom of God, whatever they may be. Dreams of remembering scripture and putting them into your heart and remembering them when someone asks you a question about God and you're able to give them the answer, amen? These are dreams that count. That dreams that the earth and, and men and the world cannot take away from us. They're dreams that are eternal, that will pay eternal dividends, amen? That are treasures in heaven. Our hopes are not in earthly desires, guys, but should be in godly desires. Our hopes are in the eternal future with Jesus Christ, the past is in vanity and fading wave. That's, that's what Paul was saying. Remember when he said, I don't look back, I look forward, right? There's a song I'm going to read to you by 
Josh Wilson. This is an amazing Christian song. He's a Christian artist. Look it up if you have the chance. Josh Wilson. It's called Dream Small. And my family, we play it in the van sometimes. I'm going to read you the uh, lyrics. This is what matters, guys. It's a mama singing songs about the Lord. It's a daddy spending family time the world says that he can't afford. These simple moments will change the world. It's a pastor at a tiny little church. 40 years of loving the broken and the hurt. These simple simple moments change the world. Dream small. It's visiting the widow down the street or dancing on a Friday with your friend with special needs. These simple moments change the world. Of course, there's nothing wrong with bigger dreams. Just don't miss the minutes on your way to bigger things. Because these simple moments change the world. Dream small. Don't buy the lie that you've got to do it all. Just let Jesus use you where you are. One day at a time, live well, loving God and others as yourself. Find little ways where you can help. With his great love, a tiny rock can make a giant fall. So dream small. Keep loving, keep serving, keep listening, keep learning, keep praying, keep hoping, keep seeking, keep searching. Add up all the small things and watch them grow bigger. For the God who does all things makes oceans from rivers dream small. Right, guys? What's important in our lives? What's important in our lives? It's not the big house. It's not the 401k. It's not the retirement. Right? 70 years right here. And you have eternity. And those 70 years will affect eternity for others and yourself and your wives and your children and everything else. Dream the small things. Small things done for the Lord on earth can have a huge effect on eternity. Things considered to be huge accomplishments on earth will have no effect on eternity, right? Will have no effect. I remember one time Pastor Dave was up here and he was telling the story about the Hall of Fame and there's great running backs and receivers and everyone's remembering them. They've made legends of themselves. And I remember he said, I think, I think he was talking about baseball, but he said, to me, it's the Hall of Forgetfulness. I don't even know who won the Super Bowl last year. Can't even remember, let alone 10 years ago. I don't know how many yards, you know, Marcus Allen ran for or Adrian Peters. I don't. Because are those important? They're fun. They're a blessing. God has blessed them, right, with talents. But what's important, guys, is eternity. eternity. Amen? So <clears throat> let's read uh, verses 7 through 12. <clears throat> for there is hope for a tree. It is cut down that it will sprout again and that its tender shoots will not cease. Though its roots may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water, it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. But man dies and he's laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. And where is he? As water disappears from the sea and a river becomes parched and dries up, so man lies down and does not rise to the heavens are no more. They will not awake, nor be roused from their sleep. Here's what's interesting. When I first read this verse, um, I was like, what do you mean a trunk, uh, a trunk of a tree, you know, stump, excuse me, the stump. The stump of a tree can grow again. I didn't know it could. Did you guys know that? Like if you water and I guess nurture, whatever you got to do, you can grow a tree again out of a stump. I was just amazed by that. We know without water, life can't be sustained, right? We need water. 
that tree needs water. That stump, if it's ever going to be a tree again, it needs water. What does water represent in the Bible? Terry. Amen. Terry, you got to raise your hand. No, I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You do not have to raise your hand, Terry. So what does water represent in the Bible? Terry, answer that. It's Holy Spirit, guys, right? Water represents the Spirit. So... John 4.14 says this, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them, this is Jesus, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give them will become in him a fountain of water springing up into ever, everlasting life. The woman, the Samaritan at the well was just surprised Jesus was talking to her. And uh, he's saying, hey, the water I'm going to give you is greater than this well that men have built, right? Like the tree that desires water for life. Job desired life as well, right? That's his issue. He's like, <clears throat> he's drowning in despair and losing hope. And he's like, is there something after here? Is this it? Is my dead? Or is there going to, am I going to be, basically it's like, remember he says, am I going to come back again and reappear and your eyes are going to see me? Job desired life and he desired it more abundantly, guys. One day Job would receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't know it yet. The life he had hoped for, he would receive. See, everything he was hoping for in this chapter he didn't know he would eventually get. We also brought, we are brought from what? We are brought from death to what? To life. Amen. Believing, just like that stump, right? It's brought from death to life, right? Believing in Jesus and receiving from him the living water, the Holy Spirit, is what gives us eternal life. Amen? Guys, we have to have the Holy Spirit. Like that credit card commercial, what is it? Don't leave home without it. Don't leave earth without Jesus. Don't leave earth without Jesus, amen? And then in verses 10 through 12, if you look at it, Job says, but man dies. He's laid away. Where does he go? He disappears. Man lies down. He doesn't rise again till the heaven, until the heavens are no more. So man don't rise again until basically what he's saying is the heavens here he's referring to uh, comes from the word here in Hebrew, uh, Shamaim, which is the skies and the stars and the universe. So he's saying, hey, once man goes into the grave, the earth and everything around it will pass away and man will not come back no more. Forever man will remain, basically what Joe's saying. He's remain dead forever. That's it. Lights out, it's done. So um, so look at, look at it. Job, I'm going to kind of go through a timeline here. Job lived at about 2000 B.C., at this time, there wasn't an Old Testament. They were the Old Testament. Job didn't know it, right? But they were creating the Old Testament through their lives and their stories, right? And God was doing that. That was all God. God does it all. Um, but there wasn't an Old Testament. Old Testament books uh, did, though, hint at a resurrection. They did hint at a resurrection. So when David came, so here's Job in 2000 BC. David, who lived, King David, who lived from about 1040 to 970 BC, we read this in Psalm 16.9. So this is about a thousand years after Job. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave me, God. You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. So David's hinting at being resurrected. Psalm 17, 15. Again, David, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Right, and by visions, so David would speak of being resurrected, as Job was speaking of what being resurrected long before there was a resurrection. 
And by visions, dreams from God, Isaiah, who lived from 766 to... So, so you got this timeline, Job in 2000 BC, David in 1040 BC. Now we get to Isaiah in 766 BC, born uh, from 766 BC to 686 BC, his life. And then we see Daniel in 622 to 530 BC would affirm. So these two, Isaiah and Daniel, would affirm the resurrection. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise, awake, and sing. You who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Daniel wrote, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That is the key thing too. C.S. Lewis said this, I quoted it many times, everyone is eternal. Everyone you come in contact with is eternal, guys. The people at your work, the people at the grocery store, the people at church, uh, the people you meet on mountain biking, playing sports, whatever it is, everyone is eternal and we must look at them that way. The, the hard part is that when you're looking at them, remember that they'll either be, like C.S. Lewis said, an eternal horror or an eternal splendor. We want people to be in eternal splendor, right? We want everyone to go to heaven. Don't ever hesitate to share your, your story. If you don't know what to say, just share your testimony with them. Just tell them, hey, I want to tell you about what God's done in my life, who I was and who I am. You don't need to quote a bunch of scripture, in it, but if you want to, go ahead, if God's blessed you with that. But at least tell them, So again, there, some to everlasting life and shame, and then some to shame and everlasting contempt. So then you have this timeline, and then Jesus comes in 4 BC to 31 AD. All of mankind's concept of time, I love this, BC, AD, don't you guys love that? BC, AD, before, uh, uh, before Christ and after Christ, right? So all of mankind's concept of time, everything we have, time revolves around Christ's birth and Christ's death. Amen. Do you think that's just ironic or it just happened to be? Or did God intend everything to revolve around his son? Everything we think about our, going back into our history and into our future will always revolve around his son. Amen. Why? Because the Bible rocks and God rocks. Amen. So Jesus sealed our redemption, guys, when he came in, that, in 4 BC and was born and then went to the cross in 31 AD. Our resurrection through his resurrection is what he sealed. So Job's here asking, hey, can I be resurrected? Can I live on? Can I have eternal life? And Jesus would answer that. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15.20, we read this. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, and I love this, even so in Christ all shall be made alive right? It's, it's, he made it so simple. Through one man, we were condemned, but then he gives us everything we could ever dream of through his one act. And all we have to do is believe in him, believe he was raised from the dead and love him. Amen? There's nothing better than that. And then so, guys, so here's what we look at. So it's about the redemption. Everything that I just said to you, from Job uh, to David uh, to Isaiah to Daniel and then the Christ, everything Job was asking for here gets fulfilled through the redemption. Redemption brings eternal life. It says this in John 5.24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, Jesus, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from what? What we said earlier, death to life. 
So Job's asking, can I pass from death to life? Is there a way, please God, that I can pass from death to life? Yes, yes, and you guys realize it. I was always pointing towards that. Redemption brings what Job desired, forgiveness of sins, remember? He had this problem of sin. He's like, how do we solve this? How can I stand before you? Redemption brings Job, what Job desired, forgiveness of sin. Ephesians 1.7 says this in the New Testament. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. There it is. It brings righteousness. Remember, Job's like, well, how can I be righteous before you? How can that possibly be your God? Well, Jesus brings righteousness. Romans 5.17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And what's interesting here, through life, he's not just saying eternal life, your eternal life is already starting, he's saying through life, guys. Our righteousness will reign through life. Let's be about God in this life, right now, right now, tonight, when we go home, tomorrow, Redemption brings freedom from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, hung on a tree, hung on the cross. Redemption brings adoption into God's family. Galatians 4.5 says this, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. He brought us in. Redemption brings deliverance from sin's bondage. Titus 2.14, who gave himself, Christ, for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Zealous for good works, guys. Go out there and do good works. <clears throat> it's funny, when I look at the Bible, and pastors always say this, let the Bible be the commentary on the Bible, right? When you teach the word of God, teach the word of God as written and then cross-reference. Let the Bible back up what the Bible's saying. And what, what I love, love about the Word of God, though, is it's its own exhortation. I don't have to do anything or tell you. He's saying right there, God is saying, go out and do good works, guys. Redemption brings peace with God. Job desired peace, right? He's in the suffering. He's, he's, he's lost everything. He's like, I, if I could just get peace with God. Colossians 1.19 says this, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, so to appease God through his Son, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of my Son on the cross. Are you at peace with God? We're at peace with God now. We're reconciled. Redemption brings the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own anymore, for you were bought at a price. And that's the key thing in that verse, guys. It didn't come freely. It came freely for us, but there was, a, there was a price. You were bought. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And because you were bought, now glorify God in your body, in your spirit, which are God's. So guys... Um, so, to re so we can look at it this way, everything we just went through. So to be redeemed then is to be what? Forgiven. To be redeemed is to be holy, to be justified, to be free, to be adopted, and most of all through Jesus Christ to be reconciled to God and have communion with him again, right? And be able to come to the Father through Jesus Christ, not have to go to a man to confess our sins anymore, but come straight to God, right? 
The exhortation, like I said, the Bible gives its own exhortations, is in verse 10 through 12. Job thought maybe there's nothing after this life. A life is wasted and death is the end. But we have Jesus. We have been redeemed. And we know that we know that we should be looking to what lies ahead. Remember, Christians, you are already redeemed right now here on earth when you believe in Jesus Christ and that his father raised him from the dead and that he is God who he says he was. You've already been redeemed. You're living your eternal life now. The exhortation in 1 Corinthians 6.20 just says it for itself. I'll read it again. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Everything you have is God's. Think of it that way and see what God will do. Give it all to God. And then in verses 13 through 15, Oh, that you would hide me in the grave, Job says, that you would conceal me until your wrath is past. The Bible is just amazing. Till your wrath is past, you would conceal me from it, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait. Till, listen to this, till my change comes. You shall call and I will answer you, God. You shall desire the works of your creation in your hand in a relationship with me. Job hopes what we already know, but he didn't, but we do. What brings us peace? Right? Jesus, God would have his wrath, Job says, he would have his wrath pass over me. Then after your anger has passed over me, Job was wondering, God, will you bring me out of the grave? Job puts it, will you remember me? Will you remember man, right? He wants Jesus. He wants the Messiah. That's what he's asking for. And Jesus fulfilled this 2,000 years after Job asked for these things. Amen. Is that remarkable? 2,000 years later, one man answered all his questions. Job asked the questions that all men ask. Women have asked for thousands of years. If I die, can I live again? Do I live again? And here's where man has been in error and heretical to biblical truth from God. There are obviously religions that teach you die and then you come back and you live again. You die and you come back and live again, right? Reincarnation is a central tenet of all major religions, uh, namely Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Jainism, and Sikhism. We know from God's word it is appointed for man to live how many times? We read it earlier, once. Amen, Terry. Hebrews 9, 25 through 27 says this, guys. Not that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters into the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of all these ages, he has appeared to put away sin, put it away. Not just cover it. Gone. Put it away. Put away sin by his sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. All those other beliefs, if you've ever, maybe some of you have looked at them before, they're all lies. We know the book, the book of God's the Bible, the word of God says it. They're all lies. Although the writer of Hebrews wasn't even attempting to address, he wasn't attempting to address reincarnation, but he did, right? We're only to die once and then we face judgment. Christ also took the sins of many men, dies once, faces, he says, well, he dies once, faces judgment, but he faced it on our behalf, right? So we die once, not many times as false religions of the devil tell us. These beliefs do not gather to Christ, guys. You know what these beliefs do? They scatter away from Christ. 
when you get into that, and it's very unfortunate. Matthew 12, 30 through 31 says this, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather to me, he scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, Jesus said, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Blasphemy meaning the rejection of what the Holy Spirit is and the rejection of Christ as God and what he did on the cross. It's message and the gospel of Christ. When we reject that, people will help be held accountable, right? We know where, what happens when they're judged. It's a warning that he actually, that warning he was giving to the Pharisees. So continuing, if you look at verse 14, he, Job's, all the days I have worked in the past, when I die, I will wait for you till you change me. Job's saying, I'll wait until you make me what? Till you make me new. Again, right? You guys have what? The newness of life, right? Jesus went from the cross and said, I make all things new, right? I believe that's revelation. Make all things new. That's what Job was asking. To change. Verse 15, you shall call and I will answer you. You shall desire the work of your hands. He's saying, Lord, I believe you are good and you desire a relationship with me. I believe you desire. Does God need us? Does God need to have a relationship with? No, he's had communion with his son and the spirit, right? And the angels, but does he desire to have a relationship with you? He does. He desires to have a relationship with you. You shall call and I will answer you. So I want to ask you, has God called you for his purpose? Has God called you? Or maybe you out in live stream, has God called you to do something for him? Have you answered that call? Have you ignored that call? Was it yes, Lord, like Isaiah, uh, like Isaiah, I always say, Yes, Lord, send me, right? Or was it like Jonah? No, Lord, I don't want to go send someone else. I, 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 not right? Guys, if you've been called, right, and you have a calling on your life, respond to it. Respond to it. Yes, Lord, here I am, send me. So years ago, I'll tell you, so, so years ago at my old church, and this is about 17 years ago, as you guys know, I lead the men's ministry here, and, and um, obviously God has worked in my life where now I'm on the, on the pulpit, 17 years ago, um, we had two leaders uh, of our men's ministry. The, the one who taught the men's ministry was leaving. His right-hand man, who was also an associate pastor at the church, um, unfortunately had had an accident when he was young. He had jumped into the ocean and, and hit his head on a sandbank, and he was paralyzed from the neck down. Or, or maybe it was from about here down, I don't remember. But, um, uh, and he, he loved the Lord. And when that person left, they came to me because I had led in ministry. I'd led different, like, uh, facilitating groups, you know, within the men's ministry after we do a study, answering questions, prayer, things like that. And they said, hey, Doug, we prayed about it, and uh, we feel that we want you to take over the men's ministry. And I remember, and this is so hard for me to think about, so I have the man in a wheelchair. He probably would have took it over, and he would have taught the Word of God. But through his disability, he had a lot of challenges. He couldn't do everything. He was already an associate pastor. And they said, why don't you pray about it? And I remember I, I, I prayed about it and I came back and I, don't, you know, I just said no. But the real reason was I didn't want to make the commitment. I didn't want to do it. I look back now as I'm standing here in the men's ministry here, God had a calling on my life, but I said no to God. I said, no, I don't want to do that. And you know what's sad? I remember there was no more men's ministry. There's no more men's ministry. Maybe because people would, I don't know why. But guys, I could have said yes. And I think I should have. You know, now I look back, oh, man, I should, have, I should have said yes 17 years ago. So guys, if God has a calling on your life, like Job is saying here, he, you know, he says, when you shall call, I will answer you. Now, it's a different 
context here. But if God calls you, are you going to answer? What will your answer be? Really think about it and pray about it. So God desires to have a close, intimate relationship with his creation. Do we have that same desire to have an intimate relationship with him? Do I? I've had to ask myself this question. You know, sometimes I question it. So when we desire to have a relationship with one another or someone, and many, obviously, men can relate to this with your wives, right? When you desire to have a relationship with someone you, very, you, you like, we should have a balance in our lives, right? With the amount of time we spend, guys, away from God. We want to spend time with that person, right? When we desire to have a relationship. That's how we build a relationship, spending time with them. So guys, in our lives, we should have a balance. What amount of time do you spend with God and how much time do you spend away from God? The amount of time in God's presence, right, is very important. Here's ways we can spend time with guys, with God, guys, right? It's reading our Bibles, praying, attending church, Bible studies, worshiping Christian music during the day, wherever we are, I don't know, if we're cleaning the kitchen, doing dishes, we're driving in our car, uh, evangelizing and teaching the Bible. So here's some of the things, too, we, we tend to do when we want to get to know someone better and we want a relationship with someone. We spend alone time with that person, Right? You might go out to lunch with them alone. Maybe you go to a movie and then out to dinner. You spend alone time with them. Do we spend alone time with God, right? Without distractions of the world in our everyday lives. Maybe do a personal devotional. That's a good idea. Spend some alone time with God. Have that relationship. Do we make time to talk to that person, right? Well, how do we talk to God? How do we communicate with him? Do praying. Are we praying? Are we communicating with God? I don't know about you. I remember when uh, <clears throat> my wife, uh, when I was... Uh, uh, first getting to know her, you know, I couldn't wait to talk to her on the phone. You'd sit, you guys know, you'd sit there talking for hours, right? And upon hours. And I remember when I was a kid and I liked someone, I was trying to build a relationship. My parents would be like, you've been on the phone for three hours with that girl. Get off the phone, right? <laughs> so it's the same thing. Guys, pray and communicate with God, right? Make time to talk. <clears throat> uh, be excited to see him, right? When we're, we're trying to build a relationship with someone, don't we look forward to seeing them? Do we look forward to going to church? This is where we see God. This is where we come to be in his presence, right? Do we look forward to coming to church, meeting with Jesus? Do we look forward to studying our Bibles, right? Some of, some of us will get a new book, right? A secular book, and we're so excited. Oh, I can't wait to find out what happened to the character. And, you're, and you'll literally read like 100 pages in one night, and you can't put it down. But then you look at the Bible, and you go, tomorrow. And then the next day comes, I'll read it tomorrow, Right? Guys, we need to look forward to those things when we're building a relationship with someone. And if you're not excited about God, pray about that, that God makes you excited about him, that God speaks to you. Think of, think of um, the other person. That's another thing we do when we build a relationship, right? We think of the other person and want to put their needs first, right? Do we consider what will be pleasing to God first or what will please us first? That's a, that's a, a reasonable question and a, a very logical question. We consider what's going to please God or what's going to please us first. Does God want me to go? Does God want me to sleep in or go with him to the prayer meeting at 9 a.m.? Does God want me to keep working through lunch or maybe invite a coworker and share Jesus with them at lunch? Should I stay after church and fellowship and put away chairs or should I leave immediately because the football game's starting, right? By the way, we're going to need people to clean up the chairs. So if you guys, if you guys want to stay here for the, the chairs, it's awesome. Serving the Lord. Building a relationship with God, guys. Should I open up my home for church ministry or not have to commit to something like that? Someone else will do it, right? 
Do we pay, when we, we're trying to build a relationship with someone, do you notice too we pay attention to them? We listen intently. When we come to church, when we're building this relationship with God, are we listening to the word intently or are we distracted by other things? You know, are we thinking about where I'm going to go eat dinner after this? Is Chick-fil-A still open? It's not Sunday. Oh, wait, it's Thursday. But it's New Year's Eve. I don't know if they're open, right? I don't know about you, but that's how my mind works. Man, I got ADHD, okay? Hardcore ADHD. I'm going 100 miles an hour. Um, giving gifts to a person, right? Many men can relate to this, right? When you're building a relationship with a young lady, you give them all kinds of gifts, right? Uh, my wife is a very giving person. She loves to give to people. Do we give God our gifts? Do we give him a gift? He's given us all these gifts and these talents. We should give them and offer them right back to him and give him the gift back of using them for his kingdom, amen? Expect to change for the other person, right? I know how many men here have had to change for your wives in that relationship where they've asked you to do certain things for them because we love them, right? God asks us to change for him. Yeah, I saw some of your hands go up, right? And the ones that didn't go up, you probably should consider changing. You should consider changing a little bit, guys, all right? But look, we desire change, right? In the, they desire change in the way we act, and God desires in that intimate relationship for us to change as well, right? For our minds and our hearts and our souls to be focused on him. We should never be like, Lord, I don't want to change. But we must change to be more like Jesus because we love him. Job desired to have intimate relationship with God. We must as well, amen? And then let's read 16 through 22 and wrap it up. For now you number my steps, but do not watch over my sin. My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and you cover my iniquity. But as a mountain falls and crumbles away, and as a rock is moved from its place, as water wears away stones, as the torrents wash away the soil of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him, and he passes on. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. They are brought low, and he does not perceive it. <clears throat> but his flesh will be in pain over it, and his soul will mourn over it. So in verse 16, Job is saying death is inevitable. God is counting all his steps basically until his death happens. Uh, he's asking that God not watch over him. In Hebrew, the word watch there is shamar, uh, to mark or preserve. So he's actually asking God, don't preserve or mark my sin and keep a record of it, and then that's why I'm going through this. In verse 17, he said, uh, he's saying, that all his sin from the past is basically in a bag, that God's taking it all and putting it in a bag and holding it and remembering it. God is going to cover uh, his iniquity. Um, cover in Hebrew here, actually the word means to, it's to fall, to fall, uh, meaning to stick on as a patch figuratively, figuratively and impute falsely. So basically he's kind of saying to God, you're taking my sin and you're just going to stick it on me like a patch that's sewn onto me, but it's put there falsely because I don't believe I've done wrong. Again, he goes back and forth. And then in verse uh, 18 through 19, he says, mountains slowly crumble over the years. A rock wears away over a long period of time. Job is realizing again, death is approaching and what he had hoped for, like we talked about dreams, what he had hoped for, he doesn't believe God's going to fulfill. He's like... It happens slowly over time, but it just erodes and it erodes and life is so hard and the troubles we had talked about earlier are weighing on me, God, and I'm lose, I've lost hope. When we are young, doesn't death seem so far away, guys? Doesn't it seem so far away when you're young? Like we have the, the young kids here from youth group. They're not thinking about death. 
They're not thinking about waking up tomorrow with their back in pain and their hip has a weird thing on it and my foot has gout and my shoulder, my AC is torn, right? I'm thinking about that. Where's my, my, where's my blood pressure pills, Ash, right? They're not thinking about it, but we are, right? Because we've lived a life and our troubles and, and we're getting to the end. As we get older, it seems to speed up, right, guys? It comes quickly. I'll never forget the Sienna, my daughter, uh, me and Ashley were in our 30s. I think we were 30 years old or whatever, 33. Sienna comes, she's about 13 at the time. You know, she's in school. She's taking science classes. She comes to our door and stands at the, the doorway of our room. We're watching TV and she says, hey, dad, mom. And we said, yes, and what? She goes, how old are you guys? We said, ah, I'm, I said, I'm 33, mom's 31. She goes, I don't know if you know this, but scientifically your cells are not rejuvenating anymore. You guys are dying. <laughs> you guys are dying now. There's no more new cells. And you know what we told her? Go do your chores. Get out. <laughs> Leave. Go do your chores. Did you wash the dishes yet? Who wants to hear that? You guys are dying. We're 30 years old. Sorry, it's done. you guys are done with, right? But death, right, for some may come gradually, and then for some it comes suddenly. We should be living for Christ every day as if it's our last, right? We don't know which one we are, if it's coming slowly or if it's coming quickly. So then in verse 20, he says, man passes on. You change his countenance and send him away. When a man dies, right, what Job is saying, when a man dies, we see him or her in the casket, their countenance is no longer the same, right? You guys have been to a funeral, right? And maybe young people haven't been in an open casket funeral, but right, we know when you look at that person, is it the same person? Do they smile? No, their faces, the countenance is gone, it's changed, right? And we know the spirit's no longer in there. We can see it, it's gone, right? And that's what Job's saying, hey, when man passes away, countenance, you change his countenance. You know, life's left the body. No mistaking that the spirit, has, the spirit has left this tent. And then in verses 21 through 22, Job says, when a man dies, his children come to the funeral or the gravesite. That's what, that's what he's saying. And the man will never even know they're there, right? He says, the children can be brought low. The children can have all these troubles in life. And the man doesn't even perceive it. And Job is saying, I won't be there to help them when they're in trouble. It's Job's kind of saying it's a horrible thing. Job speaks from complete emotion here that a man's flesh will be in pain and even his soul will continue to mourn over the separation from his loved ones. So Job again is speaking about this separation from his loved ones and it's really putting him into a place of despair. Of feeling abandoned by God. That's what he's kind of, he's feeling abandoned by God. You know what? Jesus also, I'll leave you with this. Jesus also cried out to his father from deep emotion, if you guys might remember on the cross, in Mark 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? He's on the cross, suffered so horrendously. Then Jesus says, right after that, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished till talus die. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit to his father, right? Even in his pain and his suffering and in a way, wondering what his father was doing, he was suffering so bad, like, where are you? He finished what God, had, his father had sent him to do. He finished the will of God. He realized, I'm asking God, I'm asking my father, but now I have to finish what he sent me to do. He kept his eyes 
on the mission, what he had been sent to the world to do. Jesus, even in his death, gave himself for the purpose of fulfilling God's will. Guys, we're going to lose, like Job is saying, we're going to lose fathers on earth. We're going to lose mothers. We're going to lose sons. We're going to lose daughters. We'll mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. We must move on, though, and fulfill our Father's will that he has sent us to do here, just as Jesus Christ on that cross said, why have you forsaken me? But then he completed his Father's will right after that. Amen? Guys, Job, right? Because sometimes we can get lost. We're going to lose people around us. Some people mourn and they never stop. And then what it does, it makes them paralyzed in what the Father wants them to do here on earth. There's people dying of COVID. It's a horrible virus. And some people, maybe even some of you, have lost a loved one. But there's hope. The hope that we saw here tonight, the hope in Jesus Christ and the redemption, the hope of looking for things through eternity, right, and making this life count. But if you get in despair over all the loss, right, sometimes it takes you away from what you have and what you're still to do for Jesus. Amen? He has a mission for you. He has a purpose for your life. Let's pursue it. And I titled this message, We Have Been Redeemed. We Will Rise Again Because Christ Is Risen. And remember, to be redeemed is to be forgiven, holy, justified, free, adopted, and reconciled to the Father, right? Where we can come to him. And he's a loving God. So I want to encourage you as you go tonight, rest in that peace, amen? And if there's anyone out there who wants to know this redeemed God, is there anyone here who hasn't given their life to Christ, who hasn't been redeemed yet, who doesn't have this future hope, raise your hand and you can believe tonight and you can walk in that holiness and in that redemption which Christ paid for you. If there's anyone at home who wants to be redeemed, who wants to know this God who paid the price for you, who wants to send you out into the world to give others the same hope, It says in the Bible, you pray with me, say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he's God. I believe who he he is and who he said he is. And I believe that the Father has raised him from the dead on the third day. If you say these words and you believe them in your heart, it says you shall be saved. And if you're out there on live stream, go to cccalabasas.com. We want to talk to you. If you've said that prayer, you want to give your life, and you've given your life to the Lord, the angels are rejoicing in heaven, but we want to send you a Bible and we want to talk to you and want to get you plugged into a church because like we learned earlier, sanctification is still going to happen. We want you to get plugged into a good church and we want to love on you.